0: Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So, we're in Joshua, but I, I want to give some background. So, we're doing Joshua 3 1 to 5 1 today. And, uh, it's actually, to me, a, a lot of powerful story in Joshua.
1: <clears throat>
0: I'm going to give you a little background. Sorry, that's smaller than I was hoping would appear. And this, so this is how Israel divided up the land. This is how the land was divided among the tribes. This actually doesn't happen for a dozen chapters later, how it gets divided. But it's important we see this to get context. You can see my red dot. There's Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. There's the Jordan River right there. And it's interesting, in Numbers we see, Moses thought the people of Israel were all supposed to be on the west side of the Jordan. And what happened is Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they were herdsmen. They went in wide open spaces. And when they were on the east side of the Jordan, before they even crossed the Jordan as a whole people, thank you, that does help. Um, They looked about and said, no, this is our dream land. This is a great land for herdsmen. East side of Jordan is the land we want to be in. And they told Moses this. And Moses was really concerned. And I think it's also, it's interesting how God uses lots of things to reveal his will. And their heart's desire for the east side of the Jordan is how it became a, It gave a a broader sense or a better understanding that God's revelation was the promised land included both sides of the river. Moses' real concern was there were a lot of fighting men in Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh. So Moses made this deal because God was actually in it. God actually ended up prospering these these two and a half tribes. Um, He was in them having this, this great land. But he had to make the deal of, okay, but you can't leave your, your brothers out to dry, the other tribes. So if you're going to settle there, that's fine. But you have to cross. Your fighting men have to cross the river with us to help the other tribes get their land first before you can fully enjoy yours. And that just this comes up later. There's a couple places it comes up, and it, I think it's significant if you remember the background, why Gad, Reuben, and a half tribe of Manasseh are mentioned. Clear enough? Okay, so I just wanted, because it's people misunderstand sometimes the splits in Israel, and they can confuse when you have the great north-south split, and then they they think of it with this as being a split. It wasn't a split. The tribes were still part of Israel. They just wanted the land on the east side of the river, and God gave it to them. God was in it. He wanted wanted their blessing to be that big. But even, even Moses needed help of others to understand that. I think I just turned this off. Context here is also big to me. Uh, This will not seem directly related, and that's okay. This this is a good summation. This is actually from 1 John. The very first part of the first epistle of 1 John gives us a good summation of of why we have the message of of the Bible, why we have the message of the gospel. And he says, we're reporting to you what we have seen and heard So this is John saying, I'm telling you what I've actually seen and heard myself. That you too may have intimate communion with us. And yet this intimate communion of ours is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he says, I want us to be together in a communion, an intimate community. The word koinonia people often use to talk about this this huge communion. Well, the word koinonia is used in this passage both when he's talking about fellowship with each other, but also fellowship with God himself. This deep koinonia, because some people like will name their fellowships koinonia fellowship, because it's, it's, it expresses a very close intimacy. So why he's reporting this is they would enjoy this. He says, and we're writing these things, so the joy among us, all of us together, who John's writing himself and the Father and Jesus Christ, would all be enjoyed among all of us. Because we want the joy among all of us to be full. I say this because when we read Old Testament, and so I have to admit, I'm approaching you kind of like when I teach Old Testament class. This is the preface I give before my Old Testament class. Joy is the awareness of God loving to be with us, that he enjoys speaking with us. He actually likes being with us. Um, In my catechism class, I'm I'm bringing this up because um, we were at a memorial yesterday. It included a liturgical service. Uh, The the church I was raised in, we were doing a mass. Uh, Not the the physical church, but the denomination I was raised in. And afterwards, I was talking to another brother in the Lord at the reception, and we were talking, both saying how when we were raised in this ritual, we didn't really get the meaning of it. Now that we know Jesus we realize, oh, the prayers, the the corporate prayer, the things you're actually praying, they're beautiful. But they're meaningful to us now that we know Jesus. When we were kids not knowing Jesus, it just seemed like the ritual was the thing, that the the whole goal was warming browning points by praying. Now we look at it totally different and see the beauty in it. Sorry. Until I understood God's joy, that he is really happy to be with me, The stuff I was taught in catechism class, this is one of the big teachings of catechism class. I don't know if any of you all went to a catechism. There's like three main denominations that do them, and they're very similar. It's who made us, God made us, who is God, the supreme being who made all things. goes on. Why did God make us? God made us to enjoy being together with him forever. That's why we were created. And that's good doctrine. But as a kid, that didn't sound so great because my image of God, and even somewhat the image that some of the schools I was in portrayed was this all-powerful being who's holy, and me who is just scum, that could get stepped on by that all-power being anytime time I crossed the line. So the idea of eternity with a God that I'd have to walk on eggshells that like, oh yeah, I get to spend enjoy eternity with a being who could squash me at any second. And it's like, that that makes me nervous. I mean, it's more like, well, what if I do good for a million years and then I cross that line and he steps on me and now I'm out forever? It's like, that didn't sound like fun because I didn't understand God enjoys being with us. Okay, I say all this because we understand the Old Testament in the light of Jesus, as was necessary for Paul himself and all the other experts of the law. Because Paul even writes and says, "I I was under Gamaliel, like I... I was in on this stuff. And then I have this crazy encounter with Jesus. I actually have more than one of them. I have these encounters with Jesus and I had to go back and re-look at everything. So my context of this is for the Old Testament to make sense, you have to have the message of Jesus shed light on it. You get that? Because otherwise it just doesn't make sense at all. All right, so we're gonna talk about Joshua. And this is the whole idea is the overall story is they're crossing the river at flood stage. And this is after, um, remember we did last week, uh, it was the whole story with, with Rahab the harlot and the spies. So they'd sent two spies across the river. River's at flood stage, tricky enough getting two guys across, but it's doable. Two guys can figure out how to get across the river. And then they bring back the good report and after they bring back the good report, the people get up and they move next to the river and camp there for three days. Because one thing to be excited when they bring the report about how, <clears throat> how Rahab explained to them, the people are fearful of you. Oh, this is awesome. God has already struck fear in their hearts. We've got this. So we move right next to the river and they camp there for three days. It's one thing to say you're excited about what God's moving. It's a whole nother thing to say we're going to get over half a million people across this river at flood stage with our little ones, our flocks, all our gear. That, that's, that's a whole nother game. <clears throat> and the, the points I want to point out to me, at least what I see in this is, there's a place where God leads, purposely leads us to places unfamiliar to us, maybe even a little daunting. And he does it to establish honor for himself, and in the case of this story, he not only establishes honor for himself, but also for Joshua and Israel itself. And he has them set up memorial stones, which we'll look at. And I see that it's really important that we recount memories of when God does some extraordinary things, because He repeats this. What He, I mean, He's very explicit what He wants them to do and why He wants them to do it. And then we do talk about Reuben and Gad and that half-tribe of Manasseh. Okay? All excited? Oh, yeah, you're so excited you almost want to stand up. Okay. And again, this is, so the spies returned. They're camping out for three days. And what happens is the leaders go through. they're, They're explaining. So all the different leaders, probably military leaders by the term that's used. And they tell the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, you must leave here and walk behind it, but you should stay about 3,000 feet behind. And the reason to to this is you have to keep your distance so you can see which way you should go, for you've not traveled this way before. So he's saying, don't get too close Because we need you to figure out, we we actually really don't know how God's going to get us across. We don't even know where we're crossing. We don't know what's going on in a lot of ways. All we know is we can follow the ark. Now, different for us. We get to follow close up now. But for them, it was like, because again, this is, we hear at least half a million people, maybe more. Because it's all the tribes except for the two and a half that will stay on on the east side. Sorry, stay on, yeah, on the east side. Okay, makes sense? Good. Joshua told the people, Ritually consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will perform miraculous deeds among you. So Joshua's out sticking his neck out saying, Hey, tomorrow God's going to do something awesome. Joshua told the priest, Pick up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they picked up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. I'm skipping a few verses in here. Joshua told Pete, sorry, the Lord told Joshua, so this was after three days, the night before. So before the day they crossed, the Lord speaks to him. This very day I will begin to honor you before all Israel so that they will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Because remember, they got to be around Moses, who was crazy awesome. Joshua was trained by him, but there's still a thing of, yeah, we have, the great leader's gone, What have you got? So instruct the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, he wants Joshua, use your voice. You're the one that's going to give commands. And we see that repeatedly. Then Joshua told them. Then Joshua said. So God did not just directly talk to the priest because he wants to elevate Joshua in their sight. Sorry, God didn't talk directly to the priest. Okay. So when you reach the bank of the River Jordan, wade into the water. Great, that's awesome. I'm thinking, and what if you're one of the guys carrying the ark? It's a flood stage, the dangerous stage. It's like, yeah, that's all great that we're all pumped up. But now you're just telling me when I get to that really dangerous river while I'm carrying this thing and it's awkward, just go right on into the current. <clears throat> so Joshua told the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know the living God is among you. The living God is among you. That, that could be a hint of how we could see Jesus in the story. <laughs> and he will truly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites. So there's a lot of, lot of tribes. There's a lot of people to fight. You know, I showed you that great map of all, all the places the tribes get to be. The land doesn't get allotted for 12 Chapters later, because there's a whole lot of driving people out. And even after the land's allotted, they don't have it yet. Joshua, just they just instruct them on, here's who gets to live where. You still got to go drive them out. It takes takes a long time to get rid of all these people. Look, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the whole earth. It's interesting that they use this term for Jehovah, the, the Lord. It's the Lord of the whole earth is ready to enter the Jordan ahead of you. Now select for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one per tribe. When the feet of the priests carrying the ark of the Lord of the whole earth, it's not just the Lord of Israel, it's the Lord of the whole earth, touch the water of the Jordan, the water coming downstream towards you will stop flowing and pile up. So he's saying, basically, I'm going to make a dam that's invisible to you. The only thing you're going to get to see is the water pile up. So he's saying, when you when you get there, it's gonna be better than the grand, you know, greater than the great dams humans built. You touch that water, and the water will stop flowing. It'll start piling up on one side, up river of you. So when the people left their tents to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Common theme always that God goes before us. Because the ark of God wasn't exactly the presence of God, because he's everywhere, like he isn't in things made by men. But to Israel, he represented his presence. The ark constantly represented the presence of God. When those carrying the ark reached the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the ark touched the surface of the water, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest time. So the author put that there to remind you, it's flooded. The water coming downstream toward them stopped flowing. It piled up far upstream to Adam the city of Zarephath, or near Zarephath. There is no water at all flowing to the sea of the Rift Valley, the Salt Sea. We also, nowadays we call it the Dead Sea. Um, I, I did, I tried to point out in the map. But they're crossing the Jordan just above the Dead Sea, down near Jericho. So it's way downriver from the, the Sea of Galilee. The headwaters of the Jordan are up in the rain country, in the mountainous country. It flows into the Sea of Galilee where Jesus grew up near then from the Sea of Galilee, from the south, it exits into the Jordan. I've gotten to be It exits in the Jordan River, flows all the way down to the Dead Sea, which is way below sea level, and it's the Dead Sea because the water can't go anywhere. It's a low point, and it's just super salty. <clears throat> the only reason he mentions Adam on that, because there's different debate on exactly where this city was. The whole point was they fear it's at least 17, 17 to 30 miles upriver. So he's just saying is the river is flowing so quick that when God stops the river, the waters pile up like a dam and they pile up all the way at least 17 miles upstream, maybe as far as three. So for at least 17 miles, it turns into like a lake. It's, it's piling up. That's that's the whole point of that. So those carrying the ark go to the middle of the firm, dry riverbed. And it uses this term, these terms for the people carrying the ark go in first. Remember, the people are like 6,000 feet behind. So the ark, they touch the water, the water dams up. But it not just dams up the water, it dries the ground. Because it uses the terms that when they get to the middle of the bed, they are standing there with the ark on firm, dry ground. So there's there's a really amazing miracle. They're not just stop the water, but they're not in a soggy mud bath. On firm dry ground. When the entire nation, so basically they stand there, and then just, just south of where the ark is, all the people cross. So the whole nation crosses over the river. And when the entire nation's on the other side, the Lord told Joshua, Select for yourselves 12 men from the people, one per tribe. And it seems like this is God's second time because Joshua must have known this the night before because he got up that morning. And already warned the people, I need you to select 12 key people. Instruct them, pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stand firmly. So he's saying right there in front of the ark, there's all these big stones. Because at flood stage, all the little stones wash around. So these are big rocks. <clears throat> so get the big stones, carry them over with you, and put them in a place where you camp tonight. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one per tribe. Joshua told them. I know i am lost scripture, but I, I think it's, it's repetitive for a reason. So he says, go in front of the ark, the Lord your God, to the middle of the Jordan. Each of you put a stone on his shoulders. So these are big st- stones, like any of you that work construction. You know, you don't carry a, a concrete sack this way. The way you carry one or two concrete sacks because they're 90 pounds each is you put both sacks up here on your shoulder because that's that's heavy. It's 180 pounds. These are big rocks. They're not carrying little stones. These are big things they're having to carry up here.
1: <clears throat>
0: okay, the stones will be a reminder to you. When your children ask someday, why are these stones important to you? Tell them how the water of the Jordan stopped flowing before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan the water of the Jordan stopped flowing. These stones will be a lasting memorial for the Israelites. So we have big stones to make memorial. And just incidentally, I'm not reading it, but Joshua not only did that, God, we don't see where God told him to do this, so he may have just decided. He also had them drag 12 big stones and pile them up right next to where the priests were standing with the ark. And at the time they were writing it, at the time the author was writing down the book of Joshua, he said, these stones are still there for this day. So he also made a memorial in the river. Probably was a memorial they only saw it at low time. So like in the summer, when the river is lower, they could still see these 12 stones piled in the river. <clears throat> now the priests carrying the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people was accomplished. In accordance with all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people went across quickly. I think I would go around quickly too. The people (laughs) crossed quickly. And when all the people finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed as the people looked on. So they're all on the dry ground. Now it's just the ark and they watch them come across. The Reubenites and the Gadites, so he throws this clause in because it's important. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed for battle, ahead of all the Israelites. So after the ark was in the river, it's the soldiers from Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they entered first, and they went first, because that was the deal. Just as Moses instructed them, about 4,000 battle-ready troops marched past the Lord to fight on the Rift Valley of the Plains of Jericho. That 40,000 refers to just the the soldiers from those two and a half tribes, because actually they had way more fighting men than that as a whole nation. In fact, even these tribes had more than that, but it makes sense. They let them leave some of their fighting men back because as they're over on the west taking land, they need someone to protect the east side. So this isn't all of the Reubenites and Gadites and, and the half tribe of Manasseh, but this is a huge chunk Probably their best men of valor because it even uses the word like they were the leading men. <clears throat> that day, the Lord brought honor to Joshua before all Israel. They respected him just as they had respected Moses. Because remember, get the picture Joshua, before God does this, Joshua gets to go to the people and say, Hey, today's gonna be a great miracle. Here's what's gonna happen you're gonna touch that water, or either the ark. The guys carrying are going to touch the water and you're going to see this all happen. So before it happens, he prophesies to them, this is what you're going to get to see today. And then they got to see it. And then after this is done, they got to be on the other side of the river saying, wow, look what just happened. And Joshua predicted it. And it happened at his command. So he elevated Joshua for a reason because he needed the people to stay in line with him. The Lord told Joshua... Instruct the priests carrying the ark of the covenant of laws to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua instructed the priests to come up from the Jordan. The priests carrying the ark of the Lord came up from the middle of the Jordan. And as soon as they set foot out of the drained area. I say that because most versions say as soon as they set foot on the dry land. That can be confusing. I I don't know why they translated that way. Because it sounds like they weren't on dry land. Yet the land they were on was already dry. The literal Hebrew is... The drained area. So it wasn't that the land they're on is dry. They were on dry land the whole time. But as soon as they stepped foot out of the drained area that God made drained, as soon as they did that, and I just lost myself, the water of the Jordan flowed again and returned to flood stage. So as soon as they got out of the way, that this miraculous dam stops being a dam and it all floods again. Pretty powerful. Now Joshua set up in Galgal the twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan. He told the Israelites, when your children someday ask their fathers, what do these stones represent? Explain to your children. Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you while you crossed over. It was just like when the Lord your God dried up the Red Sea. Who did God use to dry up the Red Sea? Moses. Because, again, he's trying to make Joshua, Joshua, I want them to respect you like Moses. So Joshua's saying, just like it worked for Moses, it worked for me. <clears throat> all right, Before us, while we crossed it, he has done this so all the nations of the earth might recognize the Lord's power and you might always obey the Lord. <clears throat> really important to set up a memorial. Really important why is you tell future generations. You have to have your memory on what God has done before you. Okay? I'm going to fast forward. This stuff comes way later. but <clears throat> So Israel's taking the land, and they have a lot of military victories. Um, during Joshua's lifetime, they don't quite get it all. After Joshua dies, the Bible says Joshua died, then all the mighty men died. All the people who are Joshua's generation died. After all the generation that saw God do this died, how many generations did it take before they started going back to, to false idols? Just one. Just one. These memorials are really important, and even still, they didn't get Is We see that God has to review and correct them just one generation out. <clears throat> when all the Amorite kings on the west side, this is why I want to include verse, the verse out of chapter 5. When all the Amorite kings on the west side of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the sea coast, So remember, on the west side of the Jordan, you have this narrow strip of, well, it's not all that narrow, but it's, it's the hill country, it's where Jerusalem is now, it's where Tel Aviv is now. It's all on the west side of the Jordan. <clears throat> when they heard how he dried up the Jordan before the Israelites while they crossed, they lost their courage and could not even breathe the fear of the Israelites. And we later, we find out, we later in Joshua, uh, and even in Judges, when they describe this time, they even say, some of the people were so scared before you, they took off. Like there were there is some land you get to take, you don't even have to fight for. It. You get to go and, and possess vineyards you didn't have to plant. Because the fear of God went before you and the people left their vineyards and you got to have vineyards that you never had to plant and never had to fight for. <clears throat> because God does powerful things. By going before his people. Make sense? Okay, very good. So I know that's a lot of scripture. But I I wanted you to see just about all the scripture. Because we have to think again, in light of Jesus, what is God's message to us? Because I have this God who enjoys being with me. It's a God that does not enjoy crushing people. He does not enjoy killing Amorites and Jebusites. That's not the message of the book. So how does this fit? Because <clears throat> <Whoops. clears throat> they crossed the Jordan River at flood stage. God leads them to unfamiliar places, establishing honor for himself and Joshua, and honor for the Israelites. Because God did something mighty, people are afraid to fight the Israelites. So how does that fit in our story? Where, where is the gospel in this message? As we read the book, as you read Old Testament, as we're going through the book of Joshua. We have to always be thinking, how does this fit in light of the message of God? So what does it speak to you about setting up memorial stones? What does it speak to us about? Why is it so significant? And And it's repeated in Joshua. Really big deal that... Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh. See, there weren't a lot of people for them to fight. They had people to fight, but not many on the east side. And yet they were willing to come over to the west side for the community. They weren't going to gain anything by beating the people on the west side, but they still did. All right? <clears throat> so this is the time someone can answer. What do you see in this story? Related to us here and now.
1: Well, i love the part about the memorial stones i actually knew a lady who when she had some momentous breakthrough or something she would actually stop her car and build a little altar or a rock memorial so that she would remember and the, and, and this is what it says to me is remember yeah you know and you know when we have community we do this in remembrance so we remember that that is a, a time a memorial you know to the lord but, yeah, we need to remember all those wonderful things that God has done for us and not forget his mighty acts and signs and miracles and healings and all that that he does for us because he loves us.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. And I like that you brought up uh, communion because Jesus literally says, do this in remembrance of me. Is that that's that's our memorial yes, or one of our memorials. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah.
1: it says to me that God will go before me mm-hmm. and that I should trust him um, because yeah, yeah. he will keep his word and it will establish honor for him and then as a representative of him for me. Good. Which in yeah. this world, you know, honor can be seen, you know, kind of as not such a good thing, but this is honoring God and being that representative of what
0: he's doing. Yeah.
1: You know, not to me carnally, Carla, but as yeah. a God
0: or yeah, it's powerful. It's not honor for us to be prideful, but the honor is but I am God's. <clears throat> it's all, it's like I'm breaking like, oh, I'm all hot stuff. But there's there's credibility. I mean, I can tell it in the world. <clears throat> there are people who would approach and were open to me talking to them about my faith because they saw favor. I mean, the bottom line is they just saw, no, I, I don't know why this is working for you and Carla. <clears throat> So so favor paved the way for a conversation. Yeah. Anyone else? Go ahead, Jared.
1: So uh, we're to use the leading of God in little steps, you know, early on, the scripture said uh, To follow the Ark of the Covenant from the ways behind, and not even those carrying the Ark knew exactly where they were going. And too often, the Lord sends us in a certain direction, and then he might say, go to in a time where there's no roads. And we'll see the past, we'll see the path, we'll know immediately where to go. And we, in our human nature, will say, okay, I got it here now, Lord, take off. When that's not what he said, and that's not what he did here. You can see they knew where they were going, and they could see the past in the mountain. But a lot of times when you get up to there, that's not the path you take. You know, it's not obvious until you get there. And then you take another way and go to another way. When I was little, we would come up the valley to come home from Sacramento. And, you know, there was was, uh, no entertainment in that car. And it was boring. And the air conditioning was the old, uh, what was that? It was the old... uh, The air conditioning was the old four four at 50. Four windows open at 50 miles an hour. (laughs) Uh, And I would sit there and we would get up the valley. And I didn't know where Williams was to turn onto Highway 20. But I could see the mountains and I knew there was a certain pass. And then I would see, ah, that we're going to turn off the road and go over to the mountains that way. And then I would sit there and watch as we went past that pass. And then a few miles later would be the same thing. And then we drive right on past there and then finally we took the turn off at Williams. And back then the road would zigzag across the valley on the property lines. And I'd say, there's the pass. And then we'd make a left turn. No, not that way. And it was only when we got within less than a mile that I could see where the road actually went up a particular pass. uh, you know, the Lord is saying, I see where you're going. You may think you see where you're going, but not necessarily.
0: Yeah. No, that is. That's really good. because You have to trust. Yeah. You know, trusting the Lord, not the path itself. Like, even as you said, I picture like, OK, God, I know you want me over there. And you're telling me to go this way. OK, but you told me that mountain's mine. Yeah. And yeah, but we're going this way. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: That's why my um, scripture that is so strong in my life and has been for since youth and young is he directs a path and if you look back at some of your uh, life you don't know how you got there. you don't know how you got there yeah and he promises he promises. That if we will trust him, that he will direct our path. And that that's really strong. That's really neat to be able to know that he does that.
0: Yeah. That's good. And you mentioned looking back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm, I'm back. That's in a, my, my closing thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it goes in with Linda said earlier. <clears throat> the one that struck me most today. And there's a lot of things I I find powerful in this story about Jesus. But this whole thing of set up that memorial is vivid memories. I I didn't intentionally do it, but I look back because there are certain memories I have written out. And writing them out, it's weird, but after I've written them out, I almost don't need to read them because just the fact I wrote them out, they're stuck in my head. But they're powerful reminders. Like well, you say, because you look back and you say, yeah, I, it sure seemed like I should have been going north. But God kept telling me to go east, even though where I want to go is north of me. But then later you saw how it was powerful. But we have to get these fixated. I, I encourage you, even in this week ahead, so I'm giving you homework. Because we can't do it now because it's already after 11. But <clears throat> mostly because this is something that takes time. Is to really ask God for, God, remind me of a time you really moved. You really made a way, because again, it's it's like this is the only way you have never gone before. I'm taking you through a path that you would think is dangerous, like there is no bridge. It's it's the flood, <clears throat> and really asking God, when have you done this? And reengage the memory in detail, like He in very detailed, just beats us almost to death on us, being repetitive of why we have the memorial, because one of the lessons I learned is from a negative one is. With all this teaching, and like if we later if we do the book of Judges, Book of Judges is like a downwards sine wave. The people just do bad, then they kind of recover a little, then they go worse, then up a little. And it just happens again and again over centuries. And it's because when God did something amazing, the people would turn back. Just one generation after, it didn't work. Because the people that did not get to see God move for themselves didn't stay walking with him. And I feel like that's part of the New Testament is we have to see God move for ourselves. Because that's why Jesus said the old way didn't work. I mean, I had a covenant. You know, it doesn't come till Joshua, granted, But, you know, the old covenant didn't work because I had my part and you had your part. God said, I can keep my part. You can't keep your part. So my new covenant is, I will write both parts. I'm going to keep both parts. I'm going to do my part, and then I'm going to do your part for you by writing it alive on your living heart. And so we have to have our own experiences, because just reading about them doesn't seem to work. All right, so that's what I'm saying. Homework is a vivid reminder, like remember times God has really spoken to you, really made differences in your life. And actually write them out and give them a title. Okay, so I have one that's called Bay Drive. I have one called Seeing a Creek on the River. Um, I have another one called Starry Night, which I know i told you guys before. You know, it's like I have certain memories that God can flash when things get heated. When in the midst of chaos, just a simple phrase comes up and I relive that whole experience of when he was there and there's strength in it. Okay, okay, so this is what I got out of Joshua 3 1 to 5 1. I hope you got something out of it, too. Oh,
1: that's great. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you don't just lead us by distance or past memories, but you're a fresh here and now. And you use our memories in the moment now to remind us that you are a ruler even when things seem like they're chaotic and that you do like to lead us in new ways. So, Lord, we just say continue to do that. Lead us in new ways. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.